today has played 111 games for the Hawks. He has racked up 2,670 runs with a high score of 140 not out. However, his contributions off the field far outweigh his contributions on it. He's our third life member and second president that we have had on the Hawkcast. Welcome, Conrad Dixon. G'day, how are you going? Good to be here in the studio. <laughs> yeah, thank you for coming in, Conrad. That's all right. Well, we need to get you guys as a new studio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I can, I'll, I'll I can get onto that. That can go in the ex-president's lounge. Yeah, that's kind of next door to it. Hey, uh, look, Conrad, how have you been through this uh, this time of, uh, I mean, you work in the travel industry, I assume that's been quite disrupted at the moment. Yeah, we're not in a good place. Um, our bread and butter is obviously selling overseas in South Pacific, so it's been a bit tough, and we were we were going through a really big growth there for a period, but um, that's just stalled 100%. So, yeah, we're now sort of just treading water at the moment, waiting for things to reopen. Um, luckily, me and my team are, are going okay at my work, so that's good. But um, yeah, we're just waiting for these borders to open up so we can start to ramp up again. How's, uh, how's your son James going? He's great. How, how old is he now? He's three, about to turn four. Um, so he's been my um, new little project. He's been fantastic. <laughs> um, so I mean, those, as you guys, a lot of you guys know in the club, that's sort of been my focus for the last few years. And mm, I sort of stepped away from the club and, and playing cricket a little bit. So I'm hoping to soon get back into it when he gets a bit, when he gets a bit older. But no, he's going good. I'm, I've already got him hitting the cricket ball. And, uh, you know, so far I think he could be one of the best players that Australia's ever produced. <laughs> a future Hawk, definitely. future Hawk, definitely, I think so, yes. So, yeah, no, he's looking he's good. good. Good kid. Really happy. And, yeah, so, like, in terms of cricket, Conrad, um, yeah, were you into cricket as a, like, since you were a kid? Or was that something that came later? Oh, I was a bit of a slow starter. Um, my parents have really pushed any sport on me from a young age. I sort of just... Just developed over time through school and stuff. It wasn't till I sort of moved to a place called well, Mermaid Waters. It was Rabina when I moved there. It's not called Mermaid Waters. There was a few boys in the street, and they sort of got me into uh, rugby league and cricket. So I just played front yard cricket. It was good fun. Uh, started playing at school. Um, I started I think under twelve, under thirteen was actually my first real game. Actually, no, under twelve was my first real game. I went. Friend of mine that I went to school with down at Miami State School, um, he said I played for Palm Beach. Come play for Palm Beach for me. I don't want to talk about wow. this, but I did not know you played for Palm Beach. Yeah, I went down there and um, uh, didn't really know what I was doing. I was under thirteen, but the boy that I knew, a friend of mine, well, he's under twelve. So they said you start under twelves. And my first game, and I'm bringing this stat up because I always get told I'm not a bowler. My first game, I got five for sixteen, oh, five wow. overs. Wow! Bowling so yeah, bowling, I wouldn't call it pace. But <laughs> I had this. I worked out this strategy on the 12s where you just get a ball straight mm. and you get them out. So, <laughs> so that was good. And then the under 13s, that I, they heard that I got five for and they dragged me back up on the 13s. And my first day around the 13s, I bowled like Sexpo and um, <laughs> couldn't hit the wicket. And I ended up getting caught and bowled. And that was the first and last time I bowled under 13s for that club. So, yeah. Um, and then uh, they wouldn't give me a go. They had a pretty tight-knit team there and I was basically playing 12th man for the entire season because they thought I couldn't bowl, they thought I couldn't bat. So I ended up moving over to Broadbeach um, mm-hmm. for under 14s. That's where I met Chris Hallett. I actually played cricket um, wow. with Chris Hallett. Yeah, as a junior. As a junior, yeah. His bowling <laughs> action, his sense of humour, he talks, the, the guys have changed. I, but, still drove trains. Yeah, still drove trains. <laughs> still love his trains, I don't know about that. But, no, he was a good guy. He was always still was a good guy. Um, so, yeah, played, on, played for Broadbeach for a couple of seasons. And it was actually good because what I, what I worked out when I went to Broadbeach, they basically said, oh, we need an opener. And I just said, I'll do it. 
just to get myself a bat. I worked out pretty quickly that if you open, you're always going to get a bat. <laughs> yeah. So, and I just opened ever since. And that was, that's pretty much that. Um, and did the occasional bowling. But the, I stopped playing around under I know, under 16s or something. I started. I got a job and just worked and mm. didn't go back to cricket until um, indoor. Um, I played. I played a heap of indoor during um, while at university. Yeah. Uh, it was just convenient, like three nights a week at Parkins. Yeah, yeah, Parkins. Yeah, it's the bomb. It was yeah. the best. Mm. John and Donna down there, they were fantastic. And played a bit of Super League there as well, just in the lower grades. But I just loved it. Indoor cricket was just great. Made, made heaps of friends. It was really good. And I actually met. Uh, that's that's pretty much. This is how I started bringing to the Hawks. Mm. Um, but this is where I met Berkey. And oh, really? Yeah, well, Berkey, yeah, I met Berkey. I played, I started playing um, winter cricket for just a group of us indoor guys decided to play winter cricket up at Warehouse and um, this is not B grade or C grade or something, it was good, but just a really good day out, it was just a group of mates, Berkey played a couple of games with us I think and then he roped us into playing for Helensvale I think the next season mm-hmm. in winter because Helensvale took winter pretty seriously and um, so that's why I started getting my, my foot in the Helensvale a little bit as far as a player goes. Still wasn't playing summer. I ended up playing a senior at Mudgee because um, I had a friend of mine, Richard Griffiths, um, mm-hmm. who I worked with, come in and play. So I kept on their fifth grade team out there for a bit, um, which was just a junior squad. And that was good. But Berkey basically said to me, hey, look, mate, we're, we're really struggling here. We need batsmen, we need players. Can you just do a season out here? And I said to him, I'll come out and do a fill-in for a bit. Come out here. Um, met Parso, met Maka, met, it was just a shambles. Like I just, I remember coming here going, what am I walked into here? And um, yeah, it was just, it was just crazy. And the wicket, I played, it's the first time I played turf cricket actually out, out there. And I just was the worst turf cricket. <laughs> so I just went, wow, I can't, I was, I was going to walk. I just yeah. went, I can't be here. But played a couple more games, started to make friends. Met Ian, um, Wade Parker, and him and I pretty much just were able to just sort of hit it up, had a couple of beers, just chatted. So just sort of hung around. And Berkey and I, we spent a lot of time together. Um, Berkey and I were playing, we used to go down the nets, and Berkey used to just like bowling sort of short into my ribs um, on a regular <laughs> no. basis. Oh, no. <laughs> that doesn't sound like you. Uh, I used to call him the Synthate Warrior. <laughs> uh, what, what, what sort of time is this? Is it sort of 2007-ish or? Oh, it would be, yeah, it'd be about 2000. It'd be ranging, I think Mudgee, I was at 2005. Okay. 2004-2005, and then yep. I can't remember the exact years. Yeah, so okay. probably, but it was about 2006-2007, yep. so I've jumped around a bit. Um, so I just sort of stayed here, um, and then Ian got me into the committee. Mm. So yeah, so how did how does that start? How do you transition from coming um, and just you know filling in, and then deciding now this is something I want to stay? Um, and is it pretty quick that you jump on the committee and, and start to help? And... I think it was pretty quick from memory. One of the things that I liked about Helensvale, which I didn't, I was never going to get at any other club at the time anyway. Um, like I was always sort of seen as an average cricket player, which. Mm. People would probably say I am, uh, which is fine. But what I think one of the things that the Hawks offered back then was um, opportunity, mm. and I think we still do. Yeah. It's, something, it's something that I've always liked about this club. Like if you want to step up and you want to try and get, get what you want to do, we offered that. So for me to play turf cricket, mm. I would never, I was never going to get that opportunity in the other club. Like I noticed at Major Bar that I was just another number. Like mm. I was just filling in. I was just there. They're like, oh, you're just going to go on fifth grade off. You go have fun, which was great. That's all I wanted at the time. But um, I was never going to get to play proper turf cricket. So they gave me an opportunity to go straight into a second grade team out in the middle here. Um, mm-hmm. And Hessians, it's a really good ground to play at. Yeah. Um, the turf cricket, once it got itself fixed up, and Barry Turner did a lot of work there to get that going. It's another conversation, probably. But it was just opportunity. It was just that, it was just getting, being able to, to come in and 
and play at a higher level and just see how you go. And I think I went okay. So, and Ian uh, a couple of weeks back for us, he mentioned that like he, he just had some conversations with you, and he, he could see that you know you, uh, I guess, had some good visions for the club and that kind of thing. And like that's why he, I think he basically said, "Oh, look, yeah, we've got to get this guy involved." I guess did you were you always thinking that way? Were you always nah, not at all? I don't know where he said that from because I wasn't. I was. I was. Um, I didn't know what I was doing to mm. be honest. Um, I was probably just chatting and just talking about and just throwing ideas out there. And I did listen to Ian's. I've listened to all your all your oh, podcasts so far. Long time, time. listener, long time listener. <laughs> um, Ian, look, Ian, Ian's wrong in the fact that he, he mentioned he wasn't the saviour of the club. I'm sorry. Oh, Ian, yeah. Ian, you're wrong. Yeah. Now, I know where he's coming I from. I know where he's coming from as far as um, he he had a committee and he had a group of people that helped him on the way. So did I when I was in roles, same thing. And I'll, I'll give the same credit to my teams over the years. Like everyone's, every every president should, executive should, but everyone has a part to play. But what, what Ian did that was probably what inspired me and, and probably kept that kept it going and what's, that, what's it called, the butterfly effect, mm. was Ian, but just sitting down having a chat to Ian, he, he just had this way of inspiring you um, and just wanting you to sort of, Think outside the box and and want to achieve more. I guess that's where I get that. I get that all the time. I talk to Ian, even now. He just he has this urge to keep seeing what we can improve on and see what we can do. I got that from Ian. That was that was something that I really sort of got from him at the time. And if it wasn't for him doing that and and probably driving me at that point, I wouldn't have taken on the role. There's a bit of a story in that as well. I wouldn't have taken on the role, and I wouldn't have probably kept trying and kept improving and kept trying to improve. And like, I was really hesitant to take on the presidency role. Um, I, he sort of took me into going into vice president and I didn't know that in the constitution that if the president only stood up, it's the vice president <laughs> defaults, which really annoyed me at the time. <laughs> so I was like, what, the, what have you got me into here? But I, like the first couple of times I was um, on the committee, the first year or two on the committee, I didn't know what was going on. I really didn't understand. I was just like, mm, um um, I was a software developer at Betrayed and I sort of worked in small teams and I was in a bit of a team leader role but didn't didn't really know what, how the committee or clubs worked. I didn't really have a huge club experience other than playing a bit of cricket. So uh, that was interesting to see how committees worked and I could see how he ran it. I could see how he was running into his business and that business part really interested me just because it would help, it would sort of help me with my professional side of things as well. And I was struggling at work at the time. I was in a high pressure role. I'm really struggling with a small team that I was leading. I didn't know what I was doing. I was, you know, trying to step up very quickly. Um, I was seeing how this place was run, which I think really helped me with my role at work. Just sort of see how you communicate, how you work with people. And the club dynamic is actually quite interesting because at work they're paid to be there. And they're sort of, they've got a manager and they've got to do what the manager says in really theory, otherwise they just go away. Um, at the club, you're dealing with people that are volunteering and they're, they're they're all different types of demographics. Mm. Um, they're not just professionals. They're you know, they're all over the. And you're having to communicate at different levels. You're having to communicate with different people, different interests, different you know, different values. So that was interesting for me. So yeah, I remember the, the committee meeting where Ian said, "Look, I'm standing down," and everyone looked at me and went, "Well, no one's putting their hand up." And I'm like, "Ah, oh, I don't want, I don't, I don't <laughs> want to do this." And there was this lady in the audience, and she just looked at me and said, "Well, why the bloody hell not?" Why did I say that? Yeah, of <laughs> who, who, was, who was that? I don't remember. Um, but she stood up and put her hand up to be in a junior role. And she only lasted about half a season and she quit. Um, she sort of told me, why don't you bloody do it? And I sort of said to myself, you know what? 
yeah, I think I will. Um, a couple of personal reasons. The time was I was yeah, professionally, and I was also going through a bit of a um, going through a bit of depression at the time. That's bad things happen um, at the time. Which looking back now, in the scheme of things, wasn't that big of a deal. But at the time, you think it's the end of the world. So I was going through a bit of that, and I thought this would be a great distraction to keep me moving forward and be a bit more just just add some value to my life yeah. and see some, but also achieve something more. That's sort of where I was, that's one of the reasons I put my hand up for it. And yeah, I just sort of jumped in there and just got my hands dirty. But my first year as president, I was useless. I, <laughs> but I Ian a, was still sort of around, wasn't he? He was around, yeah, so yeah. He, he decided to help, which was great. Um, he's, he, Ian and Karen were still around and um, they both did a great job. But um, yeah, Ian ended up sort of, he, he sort of was getting to the end of his tether. And um, he, he did pull the pin, I think, halfway through the first year I was there. I can't remember. And then I basically had no choice but to step up because Ian was still doing a lot for me. And I remember Damien Burden used to come in and say to me, very ordinary, or he used to call me the very ordinary, ordinary president. And I used to think about that because I was. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but everything just sort of came along and was able to get a good team and things just developed from there. When you talk about dealing with that team dynamic of volunteers, what would you say is the, or was the most important thing for you in that environment? So you talked about how Ian sort of inspired you. Is that something that you, or inspired people around him? Is that something you tried to do with the with the next group of volunteers? Look, I tried to. Um, I don't think I was as good as, as Ian. Um, I was probably a little bit too hands-on myself mm-hmm. and I probably didn't give some people the opportunity to step up until later on in the years. Um, again, still learning what my role was in that sort of in that in that situation. Um, so I don't I don't know if I did one hundred percent. But what I think I'm sure you guys are going to ask me about this in a second. There was a couple there was a couple of things that changed my the way I did things, and I, um, there was a couple of big events at the club and the way I saw the club, and I think my actions more than my words sort of inspired people more um, i did get a lot of volunteers putting their hands up over the years which we at first Ian couldn't get anyone to help it was really quite difficult small club obviously but as we grew and we were getting more successful people were seeing i suppose the change and they were like you know what i want to be in this i want to be involved in this and i was getting people all over the place putting their hands up and saying hey mate where can i help where can i improve it's great so that was we had a really good member base so we still do i'm sorry we've, we've always had a really good member base um but we're basically starting from scratch i mean the club just got rid of a lot of bad, bad eggs. I guess we. Um, I'm gonna. I'm going. I am gonna swear here. Sorry, but we got. We brought in the di- no dickhead policy, um, and uh, it, it worked a treat. You know, anyone who just wasn't here for the club, wasn't here for the spirit of the club, or the sport of cricket. You just your time here was short. We we really tried to make sure that we weren't putting up with anyone that was negative. That was part of that culture creating. I guess the way I <coughs> see it. Yeah, Ian was the saviour, but then you, over your period of time, were able to really take the club to the next level, I guess. Uh, yeah, is that something that, I guess, you look back on and you can, I guess, feel that, yeah, that, that was something you were able to achieve? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, like, I had a great team. I, I was very lucky and fortunate that, you know, Ian was pretty much his lone, lone wolf that didn't have a lot of people around him. And I suppose Ian, everyone just sort of went, oh, Ian, Ian can do it. It's right, Ian will do it. Um, I was working full time and also I took on this role as well and when I wasn't at work I was here mm-hmm. so I pretty much put my personal life on hold I pretty much put my actually done my work 
growth also on hold to focus on the club, but I was really enjoying it here and I was enjoying the people. But I had, I had an awesome team. I mean, I had Paul Baird stepped up into a coaching role, which was huge. Um, you know, that really helped the player base. I had a lot of different volunteers that come in. I mean, uh, Joanne Brown, um, she first came in as uh, junior. I wasn't wasn't junior vice president back then, but she came into that junior junior role, junior oh, manager role, and she did a good job for the first. She did one year of that. But then her forte was really the clubhouse. Mm -hmm. I mean, we we all sat down and we had big conversations about it. All uh, all sort of those the high level executives, and we just said we're running this as a business. We're gonna we're gonna sort this out as a business. And one of the things I was trying to do um, as part of it was. Ian sort of had to do this, which is 100%. He sort of took over and said, look, I'm going to run this. I'm going to get this right. But what I wanted to do was give sort of the, the club back to the members a bit more. Release um, it. Back, yeah, yeah, let the committee get more involved. So I was trying to get the committee a lot more involved with that. Um, so that was working really well. And But we ran it like a business and we brought in policies, which Ian mm -hmm. started. We brought we, we basically created this, this framework around job roles and just anything you do in a business we basically just started to do mm. um, management structures um, stuff like that and it was working a treat and just just simple things like bringing in proper cash registers and, and yeah. cash flow management and accounting software i mean we yeah. had nothing like we were basically a fresh club and i, I know we're for our 40 years this year but we were not like when i came into this club it was two years old yeah. if that so we were just starting from scratch and you know um those people did a fantastic job and you you know connor you obviously stepped up there for a couple of years as well um it was just everything was sort of just was just coming into alignment slowly um we made some mistakes along the way but yeah and we, i think the other thing was we just weren't afraid to try new things mm -hmm. we kept just doing that is something that you had a bit of uh, you had to change the culture though so i know we've talked about you, you were always very proactive, but you had some challenges there in trying to get people, maybe who were stuck in their ways, to kind of get on board. Yeah, no, absolutely. We had some, we had a couple of the older members that were always sort of, um, I suppose, I was always hitting my head against the wall with. Mm. Um, they just didn't like change. I didn't like the idea of how the club was changing, but they don't, I don't know what it was, but it's sort of like the technology is advancing, um, the way people communicate, the way people do things is changing like just facebook for example is mm. a huge was a huge change at that time for us harnessing that yeah really using that and we're moving away from bank checks to yeah. digital and just you know just simple things but and it was just it was just constantly and like we couldn't even we couldn't move the frame from one one wall to another without without being and um the culture back then from what i can tell in the 90s it was really quite aggressive mm. um and a couple of those members just to whenever I would try and do something proactive or just a bit think outside that box and just try and do something different, I'd get abused. I'd get attacked and I'd be like, what are you doing? Like, I'm just trying to help. Like, I'm a volunteer, mate. Like, you know, just give us something to do what I need to do. And to me, like, the the lowest form of communication is is yelling and abuse. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you can't if you can't have a conversation without, without getting a message across, without yelling, then to me, you're wrong. So, so I used to get a lot of that, and I, it was at the at the time I used to take it very personally, mm -hmm. and then over a bit more experience, you just sort of learn that that the way they communicate is just not you just you just start to ignore them. It's mm -hmm. just white noise, and then they sort of just disappeared into the shadows. And they realised that the club was moving in a different way, and the committee was moving in a different way because they had the support of the committee. Um, was just great so i remember i suppose after ian after ian moved on i realized i had to step up one of the i remember one of the meetings i had committee meetings i sat down i think justin elmers was just i think he was vp that year i think it might have been the year after i can't remember exactly but i remember talking giving a foundation speech and i said look guys 
the clubhouse hasn't been touched for 30 years. I mean, literally, we built the clubhouse. We made a couple of small improvements, but it's just for four walls. And I think Ian did a little bit of work. Ian was able to get a little bit of work after he got rid of some of the debt. Extending the change rooms a little bit, and they able to get the wicket done. But other than that, not a lot had been done. The patio was falling down, um, the roof was, the ceiling was falling down, the lights were old and crappy, the fans wouldn't turn really. So the place was just a shambles. And the bar that you guys see here today wasn't the bar that we used to have, just to clarify that as well. And we can only sort of fit 40 people here if we, we, we only have one person behind the bar serving. Elmsy uh, actually was telling me the other day that, yeah, there's some little old, like, diagonal thing that, like, you know, yeah, yeah it was terrible, the bar he was saying. Yeah, the bar they built, yeah, it was a brick, it was a brick bar, but it was a brick bar, but you broke a brick bar <laughs> that sort of ran on a diagonal angle that you couldn't, you can only fit one person in, two if you really needed to, um, but really just one person. There's a story why it was built that way, but I'm not sure if I should be telling you the story. Um, very dark days. So that, so I, I brought this, I came in and I gave this sort of foundation speech and I said, guys, the club's a shambles. We're not going to get anywhere. We're not going to get new players. We're not going to get anything until we fix up some things. We've got to get our facilities up to scratch. And that sort of started me on this journey of the, that's why I became project man, because I just went, I've got to start ticking these boxes. Now I knew out in the middle, we were all going to struggle for years. So I mean, no, no use getting stuck into the into that into the middle into the middle just yet. And um, Paul Bear was doing a great job there, working with what he had. Um, and we were still, but our player base is relatively still small. So I just went, no, we're going to start fixing stuff up. So I just started applying for grants, mm-hmm. and so I just started working out how we make money. Um, so we pushed we pushed the the clubhouse so hard for events. So we were doing four or five, six, seven, eight events a year, bringing in a few grand an event, um, and all these things. And that was that. There was fundraising. There was meat trays. There was you know the stuff we were doing with some of the club was just was brilliant. So we were just bringing all this money in and trying to make it make it a business. So the idea was turn this clubhouse into a revenue model. Don't instead of it being a cost model, which what it was at the time, what makes money out of the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. So we advertised that, and we just pushed it really hard. And, and we had Linda back then before mm-hmm. before Joanne really stepped up into the role, and she was um, doing a great job. And then when Joanne came in, we just went to that next level yeah. because yeah, she actually sure. ran the events and did, mm-hmm. did did a great job there. So, and that's a legacy, I guess, that still persists, right? Like we still get inquiries um, all the time, especially this off season. Mm-hmm. We've had people come in and run training. Um, yeah, courses, training yeah. courses and things like that, and it's yeah, it's the the clubhouse is sitting here anyway. Mm. So let's use it as a way to generate revenue to invest back into the members. Yeah, so that's that great. was that was the idea, and that's and we could undercut a lot of the other big venues. Yeah, we had yeah. got our running costs relatively low, so um, that was great. And although yes, that's not the greatest facility in the world as far as you look at Gold Coast Convention Centre and that, but still. You know, it still was a good, and we had some really good parties here. We actually had some good nights just working behind the bar, mm. watching the parties. So that was that was awesome. But this started, I started applying for grants. I wasn't very good with the grants to begin with. Um, the first one I actually got was the solar panels on the roof. And that was just a really quick form I filled out. Way too small for what we need, but it was all they were offering at the time. So I got that. And then I um, luckily had some contacts at Gulfport City Council and told me about... Um, the 30k loan, interest-free loan, that I, which was the last year they were running it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I applied to get the the aircons, the bar fixed and done. Um, so that was part of all that expenditure. So I got that, which was great. And other the fundraising, everything we did, we were able to sort of we were able to replace the ceiling, um, which was a Josh Winterborn and Co. job. He was working for a company back then, but we got the ceiling done, lights, fans, mm-hmm. and we also made some improvements to the. 
to the kitchen at the same time and the bar was, was that part of like a smart stone type agreement was that right the, yeah the um josh winterborn actually um he was sort of out, out and about doing stuff and he was we we're trying to work out how to build this bar give him this money without any real quotes but we're able to get a we're able to get a um, sponsorship for the for the stone um to get that done so that was that was great and we got some other sponsorships for it but and then um, josh mitchell's dad putting the air conditioning mm. for the club and as soon as we got those things done, what that, what that did was it, it changed its being able to sort of have functions with 30 people, 30, 40 people to over, to over 100. Mm. Um, we had space for food. We had kitchen facilities. We got all, we got all the kitchen bench tops redone. We expanded it, changed the whole layout of the kitchen so that we could have two or three staff, one, two, one or two staff in the kitchen, two or three staff in the bar. So we'd serve more people. We'd serve more food varieties. Um, we're doing burgers. We're doing you know dinner nights, all these different things. We started to just pump it out. And it became a viable business, and yeah, it really worked well. It was it was a good model. And then uh, I guess yeah, obviously a pivotal moment. We've been uh, yeah forecasting. Long, long time listeners would have heard whispers of the the famous Ryobi day, but we've held off uh, to get the story from the main man himself. So why don't you talk us through how did that start? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, so Ryobi man, that was an interesting one. This was one of the turning points of the club. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of turning points in the club. This was probably the bigger one of the bigger ones. I didn't notice. I didn't realize it at the time, but later on, I realized the effect that it had on the club. Um, uh, AJ, not, not Aaron Jones. Yeah, no, AJ, yeah, um, no, I'm Jared, I'm yeah, yep. he messaged me on Facebook. I think the night before. We did the video present thing. We had to submit this thing by the Friday or the Sunday or something. I think it was Sunday. Yeah, Sunday, Friday. yeah. And he messaged me on the Saturday or the Friday night and said, "Oh, this is a comp. Would you be interested in entering it?" And I had a read of it and I said, "Oh, we'll give it a go. Why not?" I didn't sleep a lot back then. Um, to the best of times, I still don't sometimes. But, and I remember what, I remember sort of lying in bed at about two a.m. and I just this thing of Ryobi Man popped into my head. And I went and wrote, I went and sat in front of the laptop in my study and I typed up a script, a two-page script, I think it was. Came in the next morning at what time? I think it was 10 a.m. Yeah, 10 a.m. Sunday. I think there was a, the people that came down were probably a little worse for wear. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so well, it was about sort of eight of us the promise, the promise was basically if you turn up, then you'll get, if we win, you'll get, you'll get, the, day, the, the, the comp was you get a day with, you know, all stars mm-hmm. and your club gets to play them and they come out and they do a heap of work in the clubhouse. Yeah, $20,000 worth of work. Yeah, $20,000 worth of work. So I just said, we'll just do it. So Roby Man came into my head. Um, straight away I thought of Dave Fraser, um, who's just a crack up if you've ever met him. And I went, no, this is fantastic, let's do Dave, let's, let's do this. And we came in, so this is the script that I dropped the, dropped the paper on the table, everyone read it and went, oh yeah, all right. And, um, I think it took us two or three takes to go through it. We got it done. Um, it was through an old, old iPhone recording yeah. it. And then we just submitted it and I didn't think much of it uh, at the time. And I actually saw a couple of other video submissions and they were really, really professional. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> we're in a world of pain here. And um, it, was, it was funny. And I haven't told anyone on this. I don't tell anybody. <laughs> this, is a really, this is a really embarrassing story. But I don't know. There was just something in me that I thought we might have a chance. I thought it was so pathetic that maybe they just felt sorry for us and wouldn't give us a go. But I was at work and I got this phone call from this guy that I was doing some work with down in Sydney. And he made this joke about... Oh, congratulations, Cronage, you've won. And I thought it was reopened. And I've gone, really? And I went off my head. I was like, this is fantastic. This is fantastic. This is great. 
And he's like, all right, settle in, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> I forget his name now, Darren. He's Darren, he's Darren, it's Darren, Darren. Oh, oh, sorry, mate. I thought I won this club. I was really excited about it. I thought you got me going. He was, he was pissing himself. He thought it was a cracker. So we told him the story and he laughed about it. Two hours later, I get a phone call from Ryobi. Same day. And he goes, G'day, this is, oh, there was a lady actually. Oh, by the way, you've, you've won the prize. And I said to her, no, nah, come on. <laughs> I didn't believe her at first. And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I haven't won it. No. Nah. She's like, no, you have, you've won it. And um, you've got a, I don't know, I think it was Friday or Monday. She's like, oh, we'll be at your clubhouse this weekend. Coming. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? And she's like, yeah, we've got to get this going pretty quick because we've got to meet the Adelaide test, blah, 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 blah. And it was all this timeline. And I've gone, oh, and I sort of, that's when I sort of, Dropped. I just went, oh my God, this is down. So I made it make a few phone calls. Luckily, I know somebody across the city council that works in parks. So I was able to sort of get through some red tape and he helped. He stepped up, um, great for me. And uh, it just it just all came together. And anyway, Parker stepped up. This is Forte, these kind of things. So he and Big Karen events, and yeah. oh yeah, all that happened. And I'll tell you what. Because um, we put it together in the space of a week. And yeah, it was a week. Yeah. yeah, it was a week. And we like, get, we the, get toilets and permits and alcohol, like uh, permits for toilets and permits for ground usage and permits for um, how many alcohol. People, how many people were here, you reckon? Oh, 200 bit, 1,000, yeah. I reckon. Yeah, 200 bit, 1,000. Yeah, they all went down the hill. Who were some of the players that were, uh, came by? Oh, you know, I, all I remember is I got bowled out by Merv, Merv Hughes <laughs> for, for the duck. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had um, Merv Hughes. We had Darren um, Lehman. Bevan. Bevan, Ma- Ma- what's his name, Matthew Elliott, yeah, um, uh, Pomerspack, oh, yeah, uh, uh, Greg Matthews. Yeah, Chris, yeah. Lynn, uh, Chris, Chris, Chris Lynn was yeah, there when he was young. He came up to me and says, I'm Chris Lynn. I was like, that's nice, walked off. <laughs> uh, but I was, uh, no, it was, it was just awesome. But what, what I loved about it was the, the ma- as soon as I put the announcement up on Facebook, the club went nuts, obviously, mm-hmm. which was great. But the members stepped up. Like, I think everyone stepped up. I don't think, I think that we had that many people turn up during the week. I remember we ran a meeting here in the clubhouse and there was 50 people here, all putting their hands up to help. What could we do? Yeah, and it was, I had to run a big session um, about it all and then talk about all the different things we need to run over and people put their hands up and did, did everything. It was just great. And on the day, the morning of, I mean, Justin Elms and, and Turtle, they stepped up. I mean, Justin Elms was running around the clubhouse, mowing the hills and <laughs> making sure everything yeah. was tidy. He said he took the week off, I think. Yeah, he pretty <laughs> much did. Like, yeah. you know, he was great. And um, so some of the other guys were as well. I can't remember, I can't remember everyone, I'm sorry, but there was that many people that stepped up. And the day itself, and then on the day, we had that many members rock up, helping up, setting up tents and everything. And then there about 2,500 people turned up and it was just an awesome day. Mm-hmm. And... I know that there's a bit of a story about um, that six to Pommel's back, Pommel's back hit mm. over, the, um, over the Discovery Drive. Just to, to um, clear that up for something, I don't want to just pass those benefits. <laughs> um, he was one that got hit for the six. Now, he got hit for a couple of sixes before that over the fence. Now, I, I must admit, I went up to Paso, I was the first sleep, and I ran up to him after the second six, and I went, do that again. He said, what's that? I flight it up for him. I want to really hit, I want to see this ball hit <laughs> for the crowd. Let's do this. And pass it on the air, okay. So it wasn't past those files when he got over the Discovery Drive. Well, it was directed this by his captain. It was. So, well, because I know uh, yeah, Conrad was captaining and I was, <laughs> so, yeah, Paul was back at me for about eight sixes in about three overs. Yeah. And, yeah. and I was, Conrad goes, all right, have another one. I was like, you sure, man? I'm you know, getting hit around me. Like, 
No, the crowd are enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> and they would have been up and about. You've got 2,500 people on the hill and stuff. Oh, we had, we had a line. We had a line of people. Uh, we had bar- I'm talking about the microphone, sorry. Yes, but um, we had a line of people that were good burgers. And, we had, you know, it was just people standing on the hill having a beer. But the amount of people that were just lined up along that hill mm-hmm. taking photos. And it was just a... It was just a really, really, really good day. Mm. And I think it just sort of put the club on the map. Mm. And Cricket Gold Coast was great. They let us sort of move again. We had here to, I think, the next day or the week, week after. And Barry Turner put up best wicket. I mean, Barry Turner just spent his entire week here getting mm. that wicket going. And Barry Turner, everyone, he's obviously only been in the club for a while. He, he did a fantastic job with the wicket. He was the, he's the most pedantic yes. curator I've ever seen in my life. God, he was good. Yeah. And... Um, I used to have problems with him yelling at the, um, the like, juniors yeah. for, for playing. Don't play at my wicket! <laughs> uh, but he just did a great job. But um, he did that wicket, and it was, it was an unbelievable wicket. And Michael Bevan, and I've never seen this guy almost cry. I reckon, Bevan, I reckon, I reckon he almost cried. Michael Bevan walked to him that day and said, this is the best wicket I've ever seen. So, How special is that? I know, yeah. So he, Barry, Barry was just, <laughs> you know, he was just super sharp. And it's, and it's all right, he deserved it. He yeah. did a great job with it. Really enjoying the chat with Conrad at the moment, but for now we're going to take a little listen to last week's episode with former club coach Dylan Sheriff. So halfway, about six weeks in, I realised, and you know, something that I've learned as a coach now is you need to be able to adapt, mm-hmm. and I needed to adapt, and I needed to adapt quick. And Betty was still around, and Betty was willing to help, but you know. Man, I didn't really want Betty's help. Mm. You know, I, I talked to Betty. Don't get me wrong; I still talked to Betty and asked, but I wanted it to be you know, mine. Coach. It was yeah. my journey, you know. And Betty still to this day is a good mentor of mine, and and you know, a good friend. But I wanted to do my own thing. Make sure you go back and have a listen to that one. But for now, back to Conrad. How how long was it after that, or was it the same weekend when when the actual works went on in the clubhouse? Oh yes, so uh, that week, so that week, so they had basically people. I think I took the week off as well. They had people rock up here basically the day after, mm-hmm. and they said, "Oh, we're going to do some work. You've got twenty grand. What do you want to do?" And I'm looking <laughs> at going, candy and I, you yeah, know, I was like, yeah, you know, my brain. They always talk to me, you know. And I'm like, we can do this, we can do that, we can do this. Let's do that. Let's do. Um, I sort of said to them, "Well, this is what I want to do." And they went, "Mate, you've got four days to do it. You've got to settle down." And yeah. I'm like, "Yeah." Because I wanted to build a big deck out the front here. I was like, "What a deck! What a deck here!" <laughs> at the front of the clubhouse. And um, but uh, they ended up settling in the change rooms because the change rooms were just basically a room. There was nothing in them, so. The 20 grand probably wasn't 20 grand worth, but it was 20 grand. They put the bag racks in the seats, the flooring. They gave it a bit of a tidy up, basically. Did, That's what they did for the week. Did they, was it extended at that point, too? It was already extended. So it was Parker already extended, already extended okay. at that point. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and the pergola, did they fix up the. No, no. We had a working bee um, where we knocked the, the patio, the old patio down. Yeah. Um, and then there was basically, that was a big concrete slab for about three or four years until I got another grand. I was able to build. I showed up that was a grand. I don't know if that was a grant or if that was a donation from Alan Jones. Um, but yeah, we're talking obviously about the extension out to the side of the uh, the clubhouse there. That, that so that yeah, that was towards the end of your present sort of time. That was one of your last big that was projects. Big projects um, yeah. And yeah, obviously that's a great legacy now. Um, you know, we've got that area out there. Mm. And so one more thing I did want to talk about Ryobi Day was that they fl- flew you down to Adelaide. Yes. And you were on the uh, on the test broadcast. And, yeah, I was. Uh, yeah. So that was that was interesting because yeah, they. So I could choose one person, and I chose Elmsy, um, Justin Elms, because you know he'd done such a great job that week. 
So we flew out to Adelaide for the weekend and they, we had tickets to um, to the Adelaide Test. And it was great because I got to see um, Michael Clark and Ricky Ponting score tons mm-hmm. that day together. So that was awesome. And then they interviewed me at lunch, the lunchtime break, and with Darren Lehman and the head of the Ryobi marketing team. And what was really what was interesting is they said, oh, these are the questions they're going to, we're going to ask you. And they had two questions. They gave me a piece of paper and said, can you just prepare your answers, please? And I went, okay, right. And I, was, I had five minutes to myself and I went, yeah, okay, done. And then they went through the interview and they interviewed the marketing director first from Ryobi and they talked to Darren Lehman and they passed it on to me. And they asked completely different questions than what <laughs> I was being asked. And I, I was like, uh, uh, uh. okay, and I, had to, I had to sort of go along with this, this answer. And then we finished it and they, they said, cut, da, da, da. And then Darren Lehman does, does his durry, flies his durry. And um, I said, oh, can we do that again? Because you guys asked me a different question. I wasn't really ready. And then I went, no, no, it's perfect. Don't worry about it. And I said, Darren, can we do something? He's like, he sort of said a word I can't say on this podcast. But, um, he said, no, thank you. Yeah, he said, no, thank you. We're good. And he walked off with Dari and made me laugh. And I said to him, I had a joke with him. I said, I'll see you next year, the next one. And again, he said a word I can't say. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Darren, he was great. Um, he was great. Actually, everyone that worked up on the every day, Greg Matthews, he was awesome. Um, raised up to his reputation. He was good. Um, but uh, and I too like Merv Hughes rocked up and um, you know all time favorite one of my all time favorite players growing up as a kid and he rocked up and he didn't, he sort of grunted at me and I shook his hand but I tell you what he stayed the entire he came back and he drank at the clubhouse wow. and we had fifty odd people back here him and Greg Matthews were here they were just it was just a great mm. atmosphere um, that was a big that was a big thing for the club it's huge day yeah. so you talk about. That and was there another big moment during your presidency which you would say was another turning point for the club? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, there's probably two um, that I'd probably bring up real quickly. One, one was uh, again another big volunteer day that I thought again I was like, wow, this is this is such a good club, um, and you know, really, I've been. I think I and the committee and the executive we had, and that's everybody involved, um, has made a real difference here. And that was the fence day, and mm. we knocked out the old fence. Mm-hmm. Uh, that day it was raining like buggery, probably like yesterday, I guess. And uh, it was just it was raining long, and a Turtle Aaron Healy had organised one of his mates with a, with a um, to a digger to be able to pull the fence out for us. But we had and we had thirty or forty guys turn up here that day. It was raining, um, and they trucked up with their cars, and we just took the post out at a time, and it was bucketing down at one point. And we had the amount of volunteers attached to help take this fence down was just unbelievable. That wasn't that long ago. No, it wasn't actually, no. no. For, for yeah, people that uh, I guess don't remember or are newer to the club, so they, you know, we had some old wooden thing going around that uh, yeah, the ball would go under obviously very easily. And mm. that was replaced, of course, by the, uh, the, the picket the, fence that Conrad and his team sort of secured. That was that was through Owen Jones. Owen Jones and I have been talking about it for some time. But the, the probably other big day, and uh, there's actually a photo of me um, I'll be doing this. This is the second grade grand final for the club. I mean, we got dropped. Everyone knows we got dropped down to first, second grade. Everyone knows that story. Um, I fought for it the first. It was actually interesting because I fought for it to not happen because I the club didn't want it to happen, but I did. Mm-hmm. So personally, I was looking at the club going, really struggling here. I really wanted to drop the club down to second grade. It was unheard of. No one would ever volunteer to do it type scenario. And everyone looked at me and went, "You're crazy. Don't do it." And I was like, "Well, I want to do it." But the cricket goal coach told me to do it, and that got me up my back up a bit. I was like, no, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what's going on out here, buddy. So I got my back up. But we got back, and like everyone, you know, Paul Baird's spoken about it, Ian's spoken about it, a few members have spoken about it. It was the best thing that could happen to the place. We, had this, we brought in this winning culture. It was gold. 
And then the, the, the second grade grand final at Southport Labrador, that, um, not Southport Labrador, uh, Queens. Oh, sorry. Yes, yeah, Queens, sorry. Yes, the yes. second grade grand final at Queens. That day, the first day was a Saturday, because the grand finals played every Saturday, Sunday. And a Saturday, we had, I don't know how many people rocked up to the game. It was just the entire Hawks clan just rocked up. And they were a bit, they were a bit grumpy with us because we wouldn't go to the clubhouse. <laughs> uh, we just sat in our marquees over to the left of the clubhouse. But we had every man's dog there. And it was just an awesome atmosphere. And the guys played really, really well. I remember, I think it was, I don't know if it was the first day or the second day, but I was walking, I think it was a tea break or lunch break. And I've walked out onto the oval, just had a bit of a walk around. And I've turned around and looked back at the at mm. just the group. Yeah. So it was the first day. Because the second day no one turned up because everyone was too hungover from the first day. <laughs> but we had, a, we had a small group turn up. But um, I remember looking back at the club and everyone was just having fun and cheering. And for me, because I hadn't had a lot of club experience, this was quite relatively new to me. Mm. And But it was that point I went to myself, you know what? We've done a great job here. We've we've created something here that's that's exciting and it's 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 really come about we've done a good job mm. and i'm not saying me i'm saying we because it was like any my park was saying there is a team involved um you just sort of help steer the ship a bit to a point and just listen to everyone's advice and do the best you can you made some bad decisions along the way but i just look back and i just went you know what we've done this we've we're we've saved we've saved this place this place is back to where this is this is going to be a successful club um and the next day, you know, Matt, Matt Gillette did his thing and batted the entire, held his bat and we won the game. Yeah. Um, it was huge, huge for the club. And that's, again, that winning spirit came into the club. And since then, obviously we've had a couple of tough years, but... We've never been, never been, oh, maybe one year aside, we've never been really getting absolutely flogged every year yeah. like, like we used to. Like oh, most yeah. years we've been at the very least competitive, if not winning. Yeah, Josh, Josh Mitchell um, really sort of explained that in his podcast, like how he talked about how we were just getting smashed. And you did, you rocked up knowing you were going to lose. Yeah. Um, and it didn't bother me so much as a player. Um, I never really had a huge winning, I never had a really big competitive spirit anyway. I just liked the game cricket. I enjoy, I enjoy the, the having the beer afterwards or I just having the, being out in the sun for a few hours and hitting the ball around the park. So I never really had that really big competitive spirit anyway. So it didn't bother me so much. I was just happy to, it was a group bunch of guys. Um, we were all there for the same reasons. And let's just have a bit of fun. If you win, we win. If you lose, we lose. Okay, I'm going to still have a beer at the end of the game. So it never bothered me. A lot of other guys did. I appreciate that. But we, 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 stopped being those, we stopped being those easy beats. And one of the things I noticed, and I started speaking more and more people around at other clubs, the amount of people that approached me, and I'm sure other people within the club, but I've just obviously got from my experience. Then of people in leadership roles in other clubs that came up to me and said, you guys are doing an absolutely great job up there. Again, that was another big sort of confidence booster, definitely for me, but the amount of people that said that to me. And I and I had parents saying the same thing. They're going, you know, I was at Coomera last year and they did this and they did that. I won't tell you what they did, but, you know, they're a boys club over there. Whereas over here, you guys are actually a family club, you care about your members, you care about what you're trying to achieve here. You're actually making improvements. Like it's, that's what I always wanted to do as a president. I just wanted to keep making improvements. That's the idea. It's always good to have money in the bank, but the idea is to keep improving the club for the members. Yeah. I think a lot of clubs forget that. They yeah. think that it's all about middle of the ground and who's winning first grade. Yeah. At the end of the day, to be honest, most, yeah, there can be some fond memories of people that win, that have won premierships and stuff like that. But the majority of them are gonna go, you know, I love that club because of this reason, and it won't be because they won, mm-hmm. because they, you know, I met this person, or I had this experience, or I went to this event, or whatever it might be, everyone's got different values. 
but uh, that's that's to me what this club's about, what any club's about, but this club's definitely about. Um, so that was a really good confidence boost, having people around Gold Cricket, Gold Crest, that had been around a lot longer than I have, going, wow. And, you know, even when started the juniors, and just seeing the juniors grow, and I, I had a little graph, a little line graph, that I used to use every year on, you've seen it, Cobb. That year on, you're on, just to see what was going on, and the, the line graph was going up every year. And I used to submit it every time I put a you know, um, grant in. This is what we're doing. And it was truthful, it was perfect. And you just see this, whereas other clubs where you're just sitting doing nothing because they were going down, especially in the junior numbers. Well said, mate. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I guess we'd love your thoughts on uh, where the club is now. Um, how do you see it? And then what do you think is the most important thing looking forward for Helensvale? Well, I think the club's looking great. Um, you know, it's, uh, he whispers about different things, but at the end of the day, I think I, th- I think it's in the right direction. You look at the, again, you look at the numbers, and they're just growing. Um, you look at the wins, they're growing. You can't fault that. And you know, we've always talked about the juniors being the the pinnacle of what we're trying to achieve because by having juniors, it, it feeds your senior club and it feeds the success of your club. You know, Ian started with one junior team, I think, and then that grew and that grew and that grew. And Simone came in um, and did a great job for the juniors there as senior, as junior VP, mm-hmm. which is the role I created for the executive years ago to give them a bit more of a voice. We just went to the size yet um, of what we're heading. I'll talk about that in a second. But it was just growing. And I think when I finished up presidency, we, had, we were just missing under 14s or under 15s or every other thing. We had a couple of under 10s and then. Dave and the committee and the executive, which you guys are obviously on now, you guys are just, you know, it's just going gangbusters. The population growth is in the area, but that's just going to help. But it's reputation. And we've, we created a reputation 10 years ago, and it's just feeding on going. And brothers and sisters are now joining. It's, it's just great to see those numbers come through, and we're just going to keep that going. Um, and I can see that we're starting to now look. I know that not a heap of improvements have been made to the facilities, but they're starting to increase again now, which is great. Um, and what I love is the female cricket. I mean, I was trying really hard to get female cricket here back in the in my in my years. The numbers just weren't there. The the, the money just wasn't there yet. They just moved from indigenous um, funding to starting to recognise females. Mm. And I actually brought up the fact I wanted to bring females here to Hessian. I said, we'll run a fem- we'll run a north we'll run a north females comp because it was only down Dolphins, down Southern Cold Coast. I said, well no, we'll run one up here. And I got told by a few Creek Gold Coast officials, nah, you can't do it, Conrad. You ain't got the facilities. Nah, you can't do it. That sort of irked me a little bit. Um, I still tried, mm. but the numbers just weren't there. The, it was just a bit early, but it's here now. So Dave's, Dave, David and the executive are really starting to, to, to ride that wave. And if we can keep doing that with the specialist coaching and the specialist sessions you guys are doing out here, it just creates a reputation that we're not just a, a boys club, but not just, you know, so we're trying to be more. And I also try to get AFL in here. Mm. Um, that was another way I was going to try and make a point of difference to the Northern Gold Coast for us to be in order for the Gold Because this, this area with the clubs are quite close. Mm. Um, so there's a bit of competition between us. But by bringing AFL in here, I thought it might be something that could help us. And I was very, very close. I remember having a big session with the committee, the, the, the cop about it. We were very, very close, but just couldn't. Unfortunately, um, Queensland Energy Rules turned around and said, no, not just yet. I'm not ready for you guys yet. But hopefully one day. Mm. Um, but I think it's going great. I'm really, I'm really happy with it. Um, with how you guys are going? I just want to quickly before we go into some maybe some playing uh, sort of stuff. Uh, just so obviously, yeah, you, you 
stepped away, especially when James came along, sort of focused on uh, fatherhood. But how do you look back on that sort of, well, probably seven, eight years all up, including five as president? How, do, you, do you look back on that uh, with pride? Or how do, you, how do you look back on that period? Uh, um, yeah, definitely pride. Um, very, like, I'm, I'm happy with what I was able to achieve here in that time. I would have loved to have kept doing it. But, again, like Ian Wick Parker said, and I would come with Tookie's lead a little bit. I was running out of ideas and I was running out of steam. Like working full time and doing this was pretty full on. And I was just running out of that steam. So I tried pulling away once just to give somebody else a break. And then um, Josh came in and he did a good job in his situation. Again, very young guy. So he was, and I helped, I tried to help him there in the secretary role, I think, from memory. Yep, but, yep. Two years. Yep, you were secretary to Josh. Yeah, and I think I probably did a bit like anyway, Parker did. I probably did more than I probably should have <laughs> to, to try and help Josh. But. And, I did, and then I did a couple more years, but then, um, yeah, I just sort of got burnt out. I'd, I'd, like, I'd always said that I'd come back and do it at some point, but I did, I did get something out of it. I did get, you know, I look, I look here and I do look at the fence and I do look at the nets and I look at the lights and just the stuff around the clubhouse and go, you know, I did that, I was involved with that, I was able to achieve that, you know, it's, um, it's good. Mm-hmm. But you need to give, you know, other people a go. You can't just sit there for 20 years and just go on and go on and go on and not refreshing which is why yeah i've always i've always talked about how we needed a we needed a retired president yeah which, which we was, finally got it was impressively <laughs> got yeah in dave so that's that's gold so playing wise uh you uh you well, selected in the team of the decade to open the batting alongside benny so i mean yeah obviously that that shows the legacy that you had in terms of on the field uh too uh yeah um again like i said before i suppose i stepped up into second grade not knowing what to expect, you know, I think I had a couple of okay scores and I was like, oh, this isn't as hard as I thought. Um, but I never, I never really, I, sh- I should have, if I had a bit more of a competitive spirit and I worked harder, I think I could have been a much better player. Um, I didn't really play as hard as I probably could have in hindsight over the last years. But I, I really, I did, I, just, I did enjoy it. I do enjoy opening, sort of hovering, I sort of hovered between second and third grade. I think I had a few, half a dozen first grade games over the years, which I didn't go very well in. But um, no, I, I think if I played a bit harder, I would have been a bit better player. But no, it's always been a good, scooping again playing here. Um, what was your philosophy to opening? Would you try and weather the new ball or be a bit more attacking? I was just like getting bad on ball. So um, I got this from well, indoor cricket, really. And I, picked, I went through to my winter cricket and then I went through to my yeah, cricket here. Even if the ball was way outside or stump, I still wanted to hit it. It's actually interesting because some of the stuff I didn't work out until I was quite older, probably my late 20s, early 30s, was probably a bit later than that. It's interesting listening to some of the young guys, you know, Elikas and, and um, Caleb. The stuff they're talking about at their age, I didn't know about until I was about 33. Mm-hmm. So the, the, what they're talking about listening to their podcast was so interesting, where they talk about the mental state and whatever else. But, you know, I suppose um, my cricket, I just want to hit the ball. I wanted to keep the, the runs turning over. That's really what I wanted to achieve. I went down this path one year where I did try to do this stage one, stage two that Paul yeah. got me onto, which seemed to work similarly, similarly well. So that was that was good. But yeah, I just wanted to hit the ball and score runs. Do you hear people say about how their game got developed, like why someone hit a, maybe it was a great cover driver, was it Hussey or someone because mm-hmm. of the, maybe the layout of his backyard? And everyone knows your slip drive was uh, <laughs> the slip drive you, you were... Whether it was intentional or not, you well, usually intentional to be fair to you, and you'd always find a way to pick it through and hit it down to third man for four, no matter how many people were in the court. And 
So. How did that come about? Because that's not an indoor cricket shot, really. So wh- wh- why did that become the trademark shot for you? Uh, accident. <laughs> that's probably the best way to do it. I, for whatever reason, I play winter cricket. I had this, I had this knack. Of, I, I love a cover drive. As far as I'm concerned, the cover drive is the best shot that I have and the best shot that is in cricket. If you hit a good cover drive, it's great. So I always try and push that cover drive probably on ball lengths I probably shouldn't have. Winter cricket, I just had this habit of nicking the ball and it would go through second slip and I'd score a four. Well, they'd drop it and the guys would always laugh at me and go, what the hell, Connor, what are you doing? It just started from that. But what I worked out from indoor cricket, I'm sorry, from indoor cricket, from outdoor cricket was, again, I'm not a very, I was never a big hitter of the ball. I never have been. And by opening the batting, you've got bowlers coming in at, you know, bowling a relatively good pace. And I used to just find that pushing the ball, using that pace, to, to direct the ball was a better shot for me than trying to smash through the ball because mm-hmm. I wasn't strong enough or I didn't have the timing that I felt that I could do that until my eye was in. So those early few few overs, I just found that if they put the ball in the right spot, that by just angling the bat a certain way, I could push it through those gaps. Why I hit those gaps, I don't know. I just, muscle memory, I just, mm-hmm. I just do it. Um, and then now and again, one goes through slips. <laughs> Effective. <laughs> yeah. What about uh, what about a favourite innings, Conrad? There's a few tons to your name. Um, do you have a favourite century? Um, uh, yeah, it'll be the it'll be the 132 I scored out here um, uh, against Broadbeach. Famously before lunch. Yes, that was a that was an interesting one. Runnable, runnable 132. Yes, wasn't to start off with though. One of the reasons I do like that innings is. Richard Griffiths, who I mentioned before, was a friend of mine. He moved from Mudgee over to Broadbeach, and he was here with his son, who was also yeah. playing for Broadbeach. They, kind of, they changed clubs for one season. And I went out batting with um, uh, Andy Horton, who was Dave Horton's son. And uh, it was his first third grade game opening on turf. And you know, we went out there, and I think I faced first ball, but their bowlers were just bowling, just on the stumps. And I couldn't get them away to save myself. I changed my little stance, so I moved around the, the, the crease. Couldn't do anything. I think it was about 30 balls before I scored my third, first run. And then I think Andy got out first. We hadn't changed, we hadn't changed ends. They were, they were bowling tight deliveries and we were, we were none for two or 10 overs or something. And um, anyway, so yeah, uh, Andy got out and then Cobb came out. Cobb got out. So we were two for none, I think it was. Thanks, Cobb. I got one, thanks. <laughs> but what I had was uh, Richard Griffith's son who was standing at point. He was just yelling out, dot. Dot, <laughs> dot, and it really irked me. And I just got, and I remember just going, oh, yeah. And I don't know what happened, but at some point this ball got bowled. And it, was just, it was just the first loose ball that got bowled, and I just, it was outside off, and it set up like a beach ball. And I just went, thank you, bang. He'll have a, he'll have a gully for four. And the next ball came, I have a gully for four. Next ball came, I have a gully for four. And they're all yelling out, put a third man in. <laughs> By then it was too late. I, it didn't <laughs> they, where they, put the they, no, they were yeah very stubborn. I think you hit about twenty fours down to third man. And they just refused. They, they just refused to put it. Yeah. They, they kept bowling that side off. They just kept putting it in the zone. I just kept hitting it. And I, Aaron James came out with me. And um, Aaron James, another really good player for this club, um, came from Burley uh, with Justin Elms and Chris Howlett and Banfield. Like that yeah. was that was Justin Elms. That was came out because I bumped into Justin Elms one day in the park. I told him I was president. I knew Justin from a long time ago as well. So he said, I'll bring all the guys across. It's great, great. Anyway, um, so that was great. That was a great addition to the club. But um, yeah, and the doc guy stopped saying doc. <laughs> but I, got, I, nicked, I nicked one through first slip and he dropped it. And I was a bit of a smart ass because I was in a mood. 
And I turned around and I said, well, I did a bit of a Steve Wall, you've got the ashes <laughs> moment. I said, you, that's going to that's gonna hurt you. And he went, whatever. Anyway, 130 runs later. What what was interesting also that day, I was a bit of a, I was a bit of a dick that day, but we had lunch and I'd already 100 and I decided to sit with them at lunch. So they were sitting here in the clubhouse watching TV and I decided to sit next to them and just... <laughs> <laughs> you also, you also, he, he says he doesn't have this competitive spirit though. But he, so yeah, he's got a hundred. AJ later got a hundred. But uh, the, the only way they could get him out was he got run out direct hit. And, uh, yeah, everyone was short. Conrad was in by a mile, and the umpire gave him out. And you've never seen a bloke so angry about getting out for one hundred and thirty-two. Oh, yeah, I was ropeable. I, yeah, I threw him a bat and threw him a dad. I had a little sissy sissy fit in the change room and I walked out and said, don't talk to me. Because <laughs> I, I was going to score 150. I was going to score 200 that day. Yeah. Um, you were just on. I was just on. It was just a good day. Good yeah. day out. It's great. Yeah. It's really good. Well, before we, as we look to wrap up, I guess, what uh, what's next for you, Conrad? James is getting a little bit older. Um, do you see a place for you back here at the Hawks in a playing capacity? On a, well, I'd look, I'd like to, yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, my focus has been here. Um, you know, I love him a bit and he's changed my life heaps. So I've been focused on him the last few years. Um, I did try to make a bit of a comeback last season and I hurt myself playing into cricket and I hurt myself again in the backyard. So it's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> so I just gave up. <laughs> but I do want to come back out here. I do miss, I do miss um, playing. Um, I'm quite happy not to go back up to the higher levels again. Just I'm not, like fifth grade sort of has always been, or even third grade. I've really enjoyed third grade. But fifth grade's been a good little thing in the last few years. Just come in, play every second week, and I got my son every second week, so I sort of focus my bat um, on that. And then every other week I play. Mm. So, hoping to start getting back into that again. And um, you see, is the, the urge sort of coming back a little bit to, to the off-field side of things? Yeah, yeah. I'm starting to look at again. I'm getting a bit antsy, I suppose, about what I don't know. I'm just, I'm just sort of looking at what else I can do. Um, obviously, I've been with. My boy focused on him, and I've been sort of focusing on my house a bit too lately, and I've sort of ticked off a lot of those projects. I made myself another list, and I started talking off those lists. So I'm getting through that. That's been going well. And yeah, look, I'm just yeah, so I'm thinking that you know I could probably start to come back here and start adding a little more value. Um, I'm excited about what's happening with the plans around the new clubhouse and stuff like that. So that's getting me a bit more keen, interested again. Again, it just comes back to you know I was involved in that. I, I helped with that. You know, I was, I was able to help achieve that with these people. And it's just, it creates life stories. Yeah. Justin Lanier talked about um, in, the, in the test about projects, life projects. He mentioned that. He got that from me. <laughs> uh, I'm joking. He did that. And because um, I've always sort of said that as well. I've, I've always been heavily involved in projects and work and just at home and everything. I just, life is projects. Yeah. You've got to just, you know, add value to your life. And if you add value to other people's lives, then you're winning. So if you, yeah, that's just my. I've learned that over the years. I think. Gold Coast cricket, ever look at that next level? I actually was planning on doing that uh, back when I was really gun ho here. I was like, I'm going to go. I'm going to become president of Gold Coast because I just felt that there could be things done better. Um, again, I didn't feel they were running it well enough as a business. But look, the association does a good job. Things have always run, run relatively smoothly. There's always a bit of debacle, and, you know, whatever it is. But overall, they do a good job. I just run out of steam. Mm-hmm. Um, whether I think about going back to that when I get a bit older, I'll see. It just depends on what happens with me and Masana and what involvement he has with cricket, if at, if at all. Yeah. Um, so just yeah, play that by you. Fantastic. Okay. Throwdowns time. Throwdowns it is. Our five oh. questions we ask every single guest. 
long-time listener, you'll be very excited for this segment. <laughs> so, Conrad, who is the best player you have ever played with at the Hawks? Played with... Um, look, Mark Steen. I don't know, mm-hmm. Parker for him as well. He, he was just a really, really talented player. Um, I always thought he was great. Ryan Maloney, which you can grow up as well. I've, I've always thought was a fantastic player. Uh, Simon Vanekroot. You know, the goat. I was, I was there. I got stitched up on this one as well, by the way. I heard Simon's. No, I didn't. I didn't pull him. When he got in the line for it, take him off. I think from memory, he bowled two or three balls out of wicket, so I figured he was done. <laughs> <laughs> but watching him bat, he could just hit a ball. He could just the way he bowled. It just yeah. Um, and another another player I sort of wanted to mention, I suppose, is, is probably Chris Wicks. Not that I played a lot of cricket with him, but I was one of the first grade games. I think it was my first first grade game out at Coomera. Um, that was the day that Chris got his 200, and um, I was fortunate enough to get out there and watch him do that. Um, I got 11, I think, of the 50 or so runs that was 100 and so runs at school while I went out there. But he, the way he hit the cricket ball, he just he could just crack a cricket ball. And one thing I'll never, I'll never forget is when I did come out there, um, I think I faced a couple of balls and tapped him around. Maybe he went through slips. At the end of the over, he came up to me and he said, "This bowler is going to do this." And he went, "I forget what he said exactly, but he's going to bowl the ball. He's going to bowl the ball here, and he's going to bowl the ball here. I'm going to hit him over here." And I went, oh, okay, whatever. And that's what happened. And it was unbelievable. I just, to me, that was just unbelievable. So he was... He Two was, steps ahead. Yeah, he was. He, by that point, he was just... So he was another player that I 100% rate. And I wanted to also bring up Dylan Sheriff as a junior coming through. And he went all the way through, you know, the grades. And to play first grade and see him do what he did. And again, another, he was another club man that I want to really push as a great guy here at the club. Hopefully we see him back again. All right. Uh, best player you've played against? Anyone stands out? Uh, well, yeah, the Wintons. Yeah. I got the pleasure of playing the Wintons here. Oh, yeah. And I got a double duck that day. So one of the, I don't know their names. I was actually really it was, bad. It with, was Sam that got up both of us in the first yeah. couple of balls of the, of the day. I was really, I've always been bad with the players and other teams. I never really cared about them too much. So <laughs> people used to say to me, oh, this guy does this. And I used to go, yeah, I don't really. I just come out and bat. I don't really think about it. But um, I watched them play and they're just great. And TJ Miller as well. I um, played against him as well. And he, he got me out without too much effort. You know, there was a few. Yeah, they'd be up there. What about a funniest memory of your time here at the Hawks? Uh, funniest memory other than breaking my nose? Well, yeah, we haven't talked about that. Quickly, come on, we can touch on that. Um, it was a pre-season. Oh, there was a pre-season fun day. Um, I was standing at Heaps point. Yeah, <laughs> standing at point. I think one of the guys invited one of his friends down. He was a doctor. And um, we've all got bowls this side off. I was talking to, I think, Josh Winterbourne. I don't know, whoever was standing at point with me was the umpire. And I had a beer in my hand. And the ball got hit, but cracked straight at me. It was about head high. I was trying to work out whether to be down or catch the ball. <laughs> I opted to put the beer down, and somehow I did this, put the beer down, put my hands up in the air, but it was too late. Ball went through my fingers and cracked me in the nose. Blood went everywhere. Luckily, the batsman was a doctor, so he wrote me a referral around then. So that was, that was pretty funny. Um, otherwise, funniest moments, I'd say, uh, like I always, phrase, phrases, phrases, mm. always good value to me. I'm just looking at my notes here, but that was always a, always a funny, those little sessions we created there are always good. There's a favourite win come to mind? Yeah, second grade, you were involved in this game club. Oh. You already asked me this before, I think. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> we played a game against Rogerbar, um, 
at it. Uh, I, forget, I think it was just a round robin game. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, 2013-14 season. Yeah, it was out. It was out of Mudgee. Yeah, I was wondering Yeah, that was a. Yeah, well, I went and opened the batting. I forget it was open the batting with now. We've matched late. Yeah, and I just couldn't the ball save myself. Mm. They were just the the bowlers were, were just bowling. They were laughing at you. Yeah, they were. I had people up in the, up in the, the clubhouse at Mudgee. They've got a balcony. And they, mm. People were yelling at me, calling me different names, and I couldn't just hit the ball save myself. But what I'd done that day was I just wanted to survive. Mm. That was my plan that day. It was just to survive. Don't worry about runs. I ended up scoring forty something that day. Low scoring game. And they came out thinking they were gonna they were gonna pump us, and we ended up um, just getting wicket after wicket. Probably not where I do call. Oh, we basically they were cruising, and then yeah, we slowed them down, and then they panicked, and you actually got a couple of runouts, and yeah, they yeah. just collapsed. I think they lost about seven for thirty to get us over the win. Really, really got angry with themselves. Oh, that, yeah, they remember the coach um, like was furious and like made them go back out. Yeah, we had like an hour and a half left in the day, and they said, "No, we're going to go out and field, and we're going to." This is their punishment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their punishment. They just did a session. Yeah, they just yeah. did a session, and we went out to score some. We actually were able to score runs that session, but um, that just remember that game because it was just one of those from me anyway, personally. It was one of those times, I suppose, I did mentally just stick in, and it's very rare for me sometimes, <laughs> but I just stuck in and went, you know what? Other than that, that 132 that I scored, yeah. that, that was the only time I just stuck in and went, you know what? I'm not getting out here today. Yeah. Um, and it drove them nuts. Drove yeah. them nuts. So it's just something, yeah, something I've learned about my cricket is, yeah, the patience part is very important, and people sometimes don't think about that. And lastly, uh, Conrad, what, what keeps you coming back to the Hawks? I think it's just the culture, the guys. Um, everyone's friendly. Everyone's, you know, um, there's always there's always something happening. We're always trying to improve. I think is always something that I've I've always enjoyed here. And that opportunity I talked about before. There's always an opportunity to, to if you want to do it here, we encourage it. We make it happen. We we if you prove yourself and you show that you want to do it, we'll give you that opportunity to do that. And so I think that's something that's always stuck with us since anyway Parker it's just come through all the years I think it's all every every administration here has has done that and I think it's just something that's going to keep going there um you know we're always changing our uniforms we're always <laughs> you know we're always keeping things fresh we're always changing how we train I mean Paul Baird was great with that he would come in every year he have a new methodology in the way that he would he would go with things um so yeah, that change always kept things interesting for the players. And that's, I think it's part of the... We, we used to have a problem where players would always leave. We'd always have this churning of people. That just stopped. Mm. I think it's because we kept things fresh. We kept our communication improved. We just did so many things really well. And that was all the executive um, stepped up in. Anyone in any of their roles, they all stepped up. So the place just sort of ran. Yeah, I just think that's... I think we're going to continue doing that. Um, yeah. We're so thankful for your time, Conrad, and uh, the club is incredibly thankful for all your contributions over the years, mate. So thanks so much. No problem. Thanks. Really, really enjoyed that chat with Conrad. I just, I, I just love talking to um, people that have invested a lot into this club um, because I recognise that the only reason I can enjoy it is because of the work they've done. So it's great to hear some of those stories that I wasn't around for. Um, and yeah, just, just so thankful to Conrad and his contributions. Yeah, it was funny. Like Conrad talked about how Ian had a knack of inspiring people, but I, yeah, I felt inspired. Honestly, uh, as Conrad was speaking there, he's. 
I think uh, maybe underestimates he has a bit of that as well about him and uh, so it's exciting that maybe Conrad might get involved a little bit more again if uh, if that's how uh, you know things play out with his life um, but Next week on the Hawkcast, we have uh, Richard Dickieson up, and so uh, we'll hear all about his, uh, I guess, background and um, and a little bit about his time so far in Australia. So that'll be good fun. Um, here's a little bit of uh, what you can look forward to. My first couple games, I felt good. I, I didn't feel like there was anything wrong, and then I got some freakish dismissals. Got out on a lucky way, two runouts three caught down leg side and then I think I kind of played myself into bad form mm. like mentally and physically mm. um, and yeah I think it was the first time in the season where I remember being at the crease and thinking right how do I not get out mm. rather than how do I score runs where am I going to score runs and that was the first time then I like realised I was like oh, I can't believe I'm thinking like this mm. you know well, it was the first time I've ever so yeah it was a big learning curve definitely. All right, until, uh, until next week, thanks again for tuning in.